2: That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW avoid. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.
3: The following podcast contains explicit language. Hey,
0: I lived in New York City and Manhattan all my life, okay? So, you know, my views are a little bit different than if I lived in Iowa. Perhaps. I am pro-choice in every respect and as far as it goes. I am pro-life. Everybody knows I'm pro-life. But you still, I just believe in choice. There has to be some form of punishment. For the woman? Yeah. I've been told by some people that was an older line answer.
3: This is TrumpCast, the show about the millionaire Donald Trump. I hope he doesn't sue me for saying that. I'm Jacob Weisberg. No one's more trigger happy with the threat of a libel suit than Donald Trump. Today on the show, we'll find out what it's like to wake up one morning and discover you're being sued by the guy to the tune of $5 billion. But first, let's hear what Trump's been whimpering about on Twitter.
0: Both Ted Cruz and John Kasich have no path to victory. They should both drop out of the race so the Republican Party can unify. Ted Cruz is mathematically out of winning the race. Now, all he can do is be a spoiler. Never a nice thing to do. I will beat Hillary. I will be doing the Today Show with my wife, Melania, and the rest of my family in a major town hall. Hopefully, it'll be fun. Enjoy 7 a.m. Senator Ted Cruz has been mathematically eliminated from the race. He said Kasich should get out for the same reason. I think both should get out. Cruz said Kasich should leave because he couldn't get to 1237. Now, he can't get to 1237. Drop out, Lion Ted.
3: My guest today is the journalist Tim O'Brien. Back in 2005, when Tim was a reporter at the New York Times, he wrote a book called Trump Nation, The Art of Being the Donald. In the book, Tim reported on Trump's net worth, but the number he came up with was far short of what Trump was hoping. So Trump sued him for $5 billion. Hi, Tim. Thanks for joining me on Trumpcast. It's great to be here, Jacob. Thanks for having me. So you wrote your book, Trump Nation, The Art of Being the Donald, great title, in 2005, and he cooperated with you, at least to some extent, didn't he?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think he, the tricky thing is being honest with him and managing his expectations about what the end result's going to be, and, you know, I think when I went into it, I had already reported pretty extensively on him in for the New York Times and had written a lot of features and news stories about the troubles he was having in his casino business, the, the idea that The Apprentice and and The Apprentice's lofting of him into the stratosphere is the embodiment of the great American entrepreneur were at odds with his real track record. So Donald was aware, I think, of of sort of my inventory of pieces about him before I did the book. And I'm pretty sure this is in the book. He He said, you know, I asked him why he was cooperating or what his goals were. And as as I recall, uh, he said it was threefold. One was, he said he liked me, which I don't think
3: is true, (laughs) but that's what he said. And then two... Definitely not true after the book came out.
1: Definitely not true. And then two, he said that he considered it a challenge. And I think, you know, at the time, the imprimatur of the New York Times was very important to him. It was the good housekeeping seal of approval from this institution in New York that I think he regards and regarded highly, despite the disparaging things he says about it from time to time. And then the third part of it was very interesting. And and he said this now on the campaign trail, and it's even more true now than it was then. He said to me at the time, he said, I've gotten to a place where I essentially have my own publishing arm. I can go on the Today Show anytime I want, and I can get an interview in a newspaper anytime I want. And if somebody crosses me, if you write a bad book, I can just go on
3: the Today Show and say... Tim's a whack job. He's a nut. He doesn't have any credibility. He said, so at the end of the day, I don't really care what you write about me. So the book came out and he didn't just complain on the Today Show. He hauled your ass into court. Why did he sue you? Well, so he sued me for libel. I
1: think it's the largest libel lawsuit ever filed in the U.S. It was a, He sued me for $5 billion, <laughs> um, which to be completely transparent was a lot more than my advance. <laughs> and um He sued me around three pages of the book that called into question his claims about his wealth. And Donald has spent the last 30 years exaggerating in seismic ways about how much money he has. And during uh, the course of the reporting that I did for the book and for the New York Times, some of this was also in the Times, individuals who had worked closely with him and, and who were familiar with his finances Thought he had a, a fortune in the hundreds of millions of dollars and not in the billions, and I laid that out in the book alongside, you know, a chart laying out what he said his his assets were worth. Donald never talks about how much debt he has. Yeah, he always talks to the press about just the the toys he has and how much they're worth.
3: Just the assets, um, not the liabilities.
1: Right, right, and as we all know, you know, net worth is is assets minus liabilities, and the fact that I had several paragraphs in this book that one was highly dubious about his most of his claims about his wealth. And then two, that there were assessments from others of his wealth that were at radical odds with his own statements about his wealth drove him up the wall more than anything else in the book. And there's a lot in the book about ties he had to organized crime when he went into Atlantic City, all of his bungled Casino operations, his bungled real estate deals. None of that w- was brought in as thought for his suit. He sued me on the notion that by presenting estimates of his worth that were lower than his own claims, he had been libeled and the damages to his reputation affected
3: his ability to do business. But you really, you discovered the, the Donald Trump kryptonite, right? It's saying he's not a billionaire. It's the one thing that drives him absolutely crazy. It
1: does. It does. And, you know, he wears it on his sleeve so publicly. Remember when he filed last summer for his presidential run, the, the top line in the papers he filed with the FEC was, I'm worth $10 billion and And the prior month, by the way when he when he announced in Trump Tower, he said he was worth eight point seven billion, so his net worth had magically rocketed by one point three billion dollars in a month but um, he 's made this part of his his shtick, some of it's, it's smart. He's playing to, I think, working class, post-industrial voters who see him as the embodiment of success and wealth, but someone who cares about their well-being. And his statements about how rich he is really play into both of those dynamics.
3: Tim, just as an aside, do you have any idea what he is worth now? I mean, forget brand value, forget his feelings about how much he's worth, but like assets minus liabilities? Well, so, you know, because he sued us on this very issue, and I had terrific
1: lawyers in the case, Mary Jo White, who now runs the Securities and Exchange Commission, Andrew Serezny, and Andrew Levine, who worked with her on the case, they... Deposed Donald for two days in that case. And, and again, because the issue was his net worth, we were able to get his tax returns, his bank records, his financial records, his business records. And during the course of the deposition that we took of him at that time, my lawyers produced an audit of his net worth that Deutsche Bank had conducted because they were doing a real estate deal with him. And they put his net worth at around $780 million at a time when he was telling me that he was worth five to six billion, and he was telling casino regulators he was worth about three billion. But his own bankers thought he was worth significantly less than a billion dollars. Sources that I cited in my book thought he was worth anywhere from 150 to 250 million dollars. More recently, some of my colleagues at Bloomberg Businessweek scrubbed his, his current holdings and thought he was, I think, worth around two and a half billion when he was claiming it was $10 billion. But still the missing link in all of this, one is that he never shows anyone his debts in a full-blooded way. And then he values things like golf courses, where he doesn't really own the underlying land, in many cases, I believe, as if he did. And so there's still, I think reporters tend to still be too overly credulous with him when he talks about how much money he's got. Tim,
3: do you think it matters what he's actually worth? Or is this just an issue of He's lying, and that shows you a lot about him, or maybe even that he's deluding himself.
1: The reality is, he's gotten a lot of traction in the public imagination by constantly keeping this notion of him being a mega billionaire in the public spotlight. It's why people write magazine profiles of him, it's why, even when he's questioned about how much he's worth, it leads to future magazine articles and TV appearances and internet digital stories because he's made himself into an object of fascination. Largely in the same way that automobile car crashes get looped on YouTube are also interesting. (laughs) You know, he's, he's, he's this big public spectacle. And I think people are tuning in to see what outlandish thing he might say next. And I think outlandish claims about his own wealth are part and parcel of that. So you won your suit. Did he have to pay your legal fees? He did not. He did not have to pay my legal fees. Um, his were substantially higher than mine.
3: And um, But it must have cost you a fortune to defend that suit, even though you totally prevailed. What, how much did it cost you to be sued by Donald Trump?
1: You know, I'm not allowed under the terms of the of the case to talk about that, that amount of money, um, so I can't. But it was expensive, and my publisher at the time, Warner Books, Uh, to their credit, went to bat for me, you know, and they hired top tier attorneys to defend me. And we were, they ended up stripping the bark off him like an old tree in court. And the case got tossed. He appealed it after it got tossed. And then a New Jersey appellate court, upheld the dismissal.
3: I mean, you stood up to this bully and, t- and, and your publisher did, which is fantastic. But the chilling effect is a real issue, isn't it? I mean, anyone has to think twice about this guy who will so readily go into court, even with a pathetic case, if they say something he doesn't like.
1: Absolutely, Jacob. That's a huge issue. And and at the time when he sued me, he didn't sue the New York Times because he knew, I think, that I would get in-house legal representation from the New York Times. So he sued me and my publisher. And I think he was rolling the dice on the notion that my publisher might not have backed me up, which, as I said earlier, to their credit, they did. But I you know, was a uh, an establishment journalist with access to those kinds of resources, and that's not something a lot of writers are guaranteed these days. There's all sorts of issues for writers getting indemnified in book contracts if they're doing an aggressive book. Some publishers won't indemnify them against legal claims. As we know, the newspaper industry is hurting, and it it's become much more tenuous. I think for the media as a whole to defend itself against well-heeled subjects of stories who are willing to spend a lot of money to
3: exact revenge. He never uh, sounded more Tony Soprano than he did. with some of the things he said in you're on your book and your suit. What was the, his line about the schnucks with the 400-pound wives?
1: Right. He said, he said, you can go and interview guys who have 400-pound wives sitting at home, but everybody who knows me knows I'm a great builder. <laughs> You know, I, the, the, a paperback version of the book is coming out and, and I've written a a new introduction to it. And one of the things I really explore in the introduction is he's got this highly cinematic sense of himself. And I think he, I think he sees himself as a gunslinger in a Western and someone who's coming in to settle scores. You know, he wanted to, um, become a movie producer when he was very young, before he went into his father's real estate business. He he produced a Broadway show at one point when he was just out of college. And he loves thinking about himself as someone at center stage, someone orchestrating almost a reality TV experience in every part of his life. And right now he's living for him, the dream, because he's getting international attention every single day. And I think it's one of the things that propels him forward. I don't think he really cares too much about much of the criticism because he's in this this little cinematic bubble
3: of how he perceives himself and and how he's going to move forward in life. There are a lot of Trump haters out there, but you, Tim, you don't really seem to be one of them. I mean, after all this time covering him, you still have a little bit of affection for him? Well, anytime you spend a lot of time with anybody,
1: which I did, you see, you know, multiple parts of their personality and, and who they are in the world. And, and he, like many people, is complex. You know, he's he's got, a, I think, a good relationship with his children. He's settled into a third marriage that I think he's happy in. To the people he considers his friends. He can be a good person. He can be very open and warm and a good listener on a one to one basis. But that Donald is a Donald who exists very differently than the Donald we see out in public, who's essentially debased at the political process. He doesn't have the managerial discipline or the intellectual discipline to become a student of public policy, foreign policy, tax policy, health care issues. He's winging it on all those things. And he hasn't really cared to get up to speed around that because for him, his only goal, I really think, is to get attention. And he thrives on that.
3: Tim O'Brien is the executive editor at Bloomberg View and author of Trump Nation. Tim, thanks for taking the time to come on Trumpcast.
1: It's great to be on, Jacob, and I'll talk to you soon.
3: That's it for today's episode of Trumpcast. We're produced by Henry Malofsky and Jason DeLeon. Slate's executive producer is Steve Lichtai. Andy Bowers is our chief content officer. I'm Jacob Weisberg. Cartoon Trump was back on Colbert last night. Thanks for listening to Trumpcast.
0: Mr. Cartoon Trump, thank you for joining us. Hello, New York. Bow before me.
2: You've made me your emperor. Woo! Woo! uh, Thank you. But woo indeed. Well, welcome back. Uh, Well, congratulations on your victory last night.
0: Woo! Feeling good. Dance with me, Stephen. Come on, dance with me. Come
1: on, shake it, don't break it. It took your mama nine months to make it.
0: That's 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 a fine. Okay. Yeah, Yeah, I beat Ted Cruz, or as I call him, dead lose. Get it, Steven, because he lost and he looks like a dead person brought back to life. <laughs> he's the walking Ted because he's barely running. I could go on all night, unlike Ted Cruz and his tiny Canadian penis. Up top. <laughs> Up top. Up
2: top. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Jumba Casino